This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Tom here. We So we recorded an episode yesterday before the Jabari Parker news broke. For everybody who wants to listen to that, we have that tacked on at the end here. But before we get into that, we figured we should probably talk a little bit about Jabari Parker and that signing. But first, I just wanted to say that anybody on this podcast who does not think that Nikola Jokic is the MVP is a jackass. <laughs> Tom, you're being very obtuse right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, Jabari Parker was signed, uh, the Celtics signed him yesterday to what sounds like it's going to be a two-year deal with some guarantee dates next season they waived mo wagner uh, everybody in my mentions wanted them to waive tremont waters which of course would not have done the job that they needed the signing to do so mo wagner's gone jabari parker in kind of a weird one i mean what are your guys impressions of it i mean the first thing that i thought was this is so random like i think everyone was caught off guard because also initially shams sharania tweeted out the news and it wasn't with like the corresponding move yet it was just like the celtics are signing jabari parker and it was like okay wow like interesting the second thing was i was amused by shams including Jabari Parker's career points per game average in the tweet, which is, I think, 14.8. But then you look at his points per game average the past two seasons. This season, it's 2.7. Last season with the Kings, it was 8.5. I mean, I guess with the... Yeah, wow, Nicole. Just this is Atlanta Hawks erasure that you're doing here. But still, I, I just thought the tweet definitely, I think, oversold what this signing is to the Celtics like okay yeah he he has a career points per game average of 14.8 but like that's not gonna happen like we said leading up to the trade deadline the Celtics had sort of like a log jam at the center position mm-hmm. and they addressed it slightly by in terms of like the starting rotation by getting rid of Daniel Tice but then they added Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner so yeah. they still had too many like players at that position anyway that like it made sense for them to get rid of one of them and I mean yeah Cornett's been really good honestly as that third center so he's kind of locked in his slot there which made Mo Wagner's spot expendable to a point and in Wagner's appearances granted small sample size but he was rough on the defensive end specifically like he was really bad I think we've spoken about it before on here but Brad doesn't yank guys a lot in like something that might not match the rotation he had planned out he did it multiple times with Mo Wagner where like he was just getting attacked on the defensive end and Brad had to go yank him out of the game so like there were clear issues there My reaction to the transaction was one, like Nicole said, I was surprised. It's just kind of a weird deal because Jabari Parker was not getting on the floor with the Kings. We said that sometimes Tristan Thompson moves in slow motion. You want to see someone play basketball in slow motion. This is your guy. (laughs) This is definitely the guy. He doesn't move very quick. And he's not going to make a huge impact for the Celtics. But I think it's nice to have a somewhat competent guy. <laughs> toward the end of the bench, but it's not going to mean as much to the team as people think. Yeah, so I just dropped a uh, a, a, a photo in the chat, which Nicole, if you could make that, like, I don't know if you if you could make that the art for this episode. It's Jabari Parker's shot oh, chart man. for this season, which is literally just like like four dots. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> it's very funny. He does not play. Uh, he does not really do anything. His career three-point shooting average is 32.3. It's not even like he's like some kind of like space the floor guy coming right. in. Like he slows things down. I mean, he really slows the game down. <laughs> like I too mean, much. Too much, like a lot. Like a lot of times you hear about, you know, low risk, high reward move. This is like a low risk, low to mid reward move. The Celtics are not, it, it's fine, it, which is fine. You, again, you're shoring up the very end of your bench. I think the worst case scenario for this season is that Jabari Parker makes his way into the rotation because it means, yeah. I think that would mean that Romeo Langford couldn't kind of hack it. You know, right. I, I think that Romeo is the only guy who's like, whose minutes are, are are kind of in any jeopardy here. Romeo has been really good defensively, but like offensively, he just doesn't bring you anything. And if, mm-hmm. if the Celtics just need a little bit of offensive punch and if Jabari Parker can provide it, which again, feels a little unlikely, maybe he slides into that role. Generally speaking, I think what the Celtics did is they replaced a big man who was not getting any minutes and was not going to play ever with a forward who also probably will not be getting any minutes but at least he's not a big man because Luke Cornett is perfectly capable of being like the third string center and the Celtics yeah. have enough depth to make that happen so I think that's where it breaks down like this just is not a high impact signing what a like three-week turnaround for the conversation surrounding Luke Cornett because when he was traded to the team everyone thought that he was going to be immediately waived they could open up a spot for a buyout candidate but no turns out he's the guy they want to keep when i tweeted last night i was just like yeah it seems like this probably means the end of the road for one of the big men who were acquired in the Daniel Tice trade my mentions immediately filled up with people like if luke cornett leaves this team <laughs> i will riot <laughs> so i quote tweeted it like when it came out that wagner was the one i was like you guys can all relax luke cornett is safe and some guy responded, in your wildest imagination, did you ever conceive of that tweet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, especially like the goal said, where we all were at the trade deadline. We were like, all right, Luke Cornett is A, never going to see the floor, and B, probably won't even make it to Boston. So see ya. <laughs> and it turns out and he's- You know a- what? This is what happens when you hustle and you make it to work early on your first day. <laughs> Luke true. Cornett drove- He got in his car. Walk, That's right. Got in his car, drove all seven feet, two of him to Milwaukee, and- uh, <laughs> Uh, immediately won the hearts and minds of that the is so <laughs> true that is so true you didn't see mo wagner driving from dc to milwaukee no, no. no. <laughs> that is luke cornett seizing his opportunity so <laughs> do we know if jabari parker and jason tatum are friendly at all obviously like they did not overlap at duke but he is a, a fellow blue devil so i was wondering maybe whether there's like a connection there because Tatum is very proud of his Duke connections and like he he has bonds with players that didn't necessarily overlap with him. So I wonder if they have like a little bit of a minor, I don't know, budding friendship there. Maybe they should have just brought in Emil Jefferson again. <laughs> that was that, literally to please Jason Tatum. Yeah, they like, literally brought him in to hang out around training camp. And then it was like, all right, now we actually have to be serious. So you're gonna have to go. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no like obvious, obvious. connection. They definitely didn't overlap at Duke. I think Jabari's old enough that he probably didn't even like, you know, see Tatum on the AAU circuit. So man, Jabari, Jabari at uh last night I was watching some clips of him. I remember watching him at Simeon when he was in high school. Jabari Parker was nasty in high school and and early in his career too. He was good with the Bucks. Like obviously he didn't hit the stride that everyone really hoped for, but he was really good when he was younger. He was yeah. the number two pick in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Shams gave us the whole rundown of all the positives. Yeah. I mean, that, like, you know, great player at Simeon. Just like Andrew Wiggins was a great player at. Uh... So true. <laughs> 
in high school. Like, I actually kind of wonder sometimes if, like, because 2014 was right around the time when Ball is Life was, or like 2012, 2013 was right around that time that Ball is Life was really blowing up. Yeah. And nobody kind of had that, like, I, th- I think a lot of people were really swayed by Andrew Wiggins, like, Ball is Life videos because, like, we had never really seen high school videos of guys just being like, everybody being like, whoa, look yeah. at you know, these highly edited, really nice looking video packages. And I wonder how much that affected Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker, where Jabari Parker was this six foot eight doing all this crazy stuff. But it's like, yeah, like a lot of NBA prospects who are six foot eight do that kind of stuff. Or right. like Andrew Wiggins is flying above everyone else. And it's like, yeah, but like at the NBA level, he'll be athletic, but he won't be like so overwhelming. I don't know. I'd yeah. be curious if those things kind of affected the evaluation of those guys early on. Cause now we know. Anything else? I like. I I feel like we immediately got off topic with Jabari Parker, but I also think that this is about the amount of time and uh, attention that yeah. the Jabari Parker signing commands. I just don't think it changes much for the Celtics. Like, I think it was notable because Jabari Parker is obviously like a well-known name, and like mm-hmm. people recognize that name. And he was the number two pick in the draft. I guess there's some intrigue there, but I don't think it actually changes anything. Like the fact that he was available, the fact that they could sign him. Like clearly, this isn't like a steal or anything of that nature like I just I don't think it changes much for the Celtics rotation I don't think Mo Wagner's departure means anything either I think it was a way to just have some more like position versatility at the end of the bench the thing about Jabari to remember is that his draft was Marcus Smart's year like that was a while ago guys who busted in Marcus Smart's year are busts at this point. Like Anthony Bennett is like a bust. And that was like, you know, not that same year. But like when, you, when you're looking at guys who are drafted high and you're like, ooh, maybe there's some promise there. I feel like like somebody like Josh Jackson is kind of the cutoff, right? Where it's yeah. like 2018. It's like a few years ago. It can't be like, this guy was a high draft pick like seven years ago. Like, yeah, all right. Then like, he probably didn't work. So no, I think I didn't that's the thing. And I'm not I saying didn't... you were saying this, Nicole. I'm just saying, I think that's the thing that like Celtics fans need to remember with Jabari Parker is like, he's been in the NBA and not worked out for a long time. And he's had injuries and all kinds of stuff that, that has really affected him. But like, he is who he is. I, I, like, I don't think there's some like high upside here. I didn't mean intrigue in terms of his like basketball potential. I meant intrigue just in terms of you see that and like eyebrows are going to be raised. Like, you're like, oh, like that's like an interesting decision, but it's not necessarily like there's intrigue in like what he could potentially do. Yeah, that's definitely why it's notable for sure. I saw someone, I am forgetting who tweeted it. So my apologies to the author, but someone said, this is really no different than them like going and grabbing someone like Emil Jefferson. It's just more notable because it's Jabari Parker. We could probably leave it there. Uh, we have the rest of our episode right after this. Uh, shout out to Grenham for managing to fire off a uh, Jalen Brown is questionable tonight with a non-COVID illness update in the middle of a podcast episode. Gre- Grenham wins the race. From my tweet deck here, it looks like Grenham was the first of the flood of Jalen Brown's question. I won the race. Credit Chris Grenham, who is basically Adrian Wojnarowski. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined by Nicole and Grenham. And today, uh, after the Celtics completed a 3-0 road trip and beat the Los Angeles Lakers last night, we are going to power rank the 15 times the Celtics gave up 30 points or more to an opposing superstar. So guys, who do you think beat the Celtics up the worst? Milo Gallinari. <laughs> and cut. All right. Good <laughs> podcast, everyone. Let's go home. Seriously, we are uh, not going to rip the Celtics apart today too hard, although we will rip members of the Celtics apart a little bit. But we're going to talk a little bit about just kind of some of the takeaways from the road trip and especially last night's win over the Lakers. In the interest of being positive and being positive people, let's start with Jalen Brown, who was awesome and who has been awesome, who has been playing really well. Last night, he ended up with 40. He had 36, and the uh, the topic that we'll get into in a few minutes forced him to come back into the game. And so he got up to 40 in the closing minutes, kind of put the Lakers away. What were your guys' impressions of Jalen? I mean, there was a couple games there, I want to say like 10 days ago, maybe closer to two weeks ago, where there were some concerns about Jalen. He didn't really look engaged on either side of the ball for occasional games. And I don't know, he didn't look all that engaged all the time. And he looks extremely engaged right now over the last five games. I mean, he's gone for, let's see, he's gone for 32, 26, 20, 24, and 40. It's a pretty good stretch. He would have gone for 40 plus uh, last night if they weren't, you know, blowing them out until he had to come back in and get his 40. But he looks really, really really engaged. I mean, he's getting the hoop extremely, extremely well off the dribble, which is something that was even somewhat choppy earlier this season and, and last season too. So he just looks really, really smooth with the ball in his hands, super confident. He took advantage of an interior defense that had plenty of weaknesses last night. So he like jumped all over a Lakers team like he should have. And I think Celtics fans should be super encouraged by that. And I think they should be really encouraged by the fact that it wasn't Jason Tatum. Like, I feel like that's always been an issue for the Celtics. Oh, if Jason Tatum doesn't get going, how are we going to do this? And they don't have Evan Fournier yet. So we'll see how that addition affects the offense obviously the Lakers were shorthanded but like that still doesn't take away from the fact that Jalen scored 40 points in my opinion and incredibly efficient shooting as well so I think it's good that they can rely on their second star to put forth like a 40 point effort and like I don't know if we'll ever see Kemba score 40 points partially because of what his individual limitations are but also because of the emergence of Jason and Jalen yeah, I think what we're learning about Kemba is that what you can hope for from him is like is like sort of spot offense. Like I was thinking about it last night and it was it was funny because I was thinking about it after he cashed in just like a rainbow three-pointer in the first quarter. I think with him, one of the things we're learning is like he's not really going to be like your kill shot guy, right? Where like you're on a big run and then like, you know, here comes your, your star point guards, like hit like a tough shot or like something like that where it's just like, oh man, now they're up by 20. I feel like Kemba, it's more like he can give you like two or three baskets to prevent a run from being like 13 to nothing. But you you can't he's not going to be your guy down the stretch he's not going to be your guy where you go to and it's like oh man if we get a bucket here we're really going to put this team away like that that's just not who he is that's that's your, your stars and your stars are Tatum and Jalen and and that's okay especially the way the Celtics are playing and especially the way they're sharing the ball that's okay that this team has a lot of reliable offense now and especially again like the ball movement I, I tweeted this stat out last night but in the last 10 games the Celtics assist percentage is up like almost 10 percent it's like it's like seven or eight percent that it's up they are really moving the ball cutting a lot better like the difference is really notable 
but yeah, I mean, like Kemba's just not that guy now. And, and I don't know if it's okay or not. Okay. It just is what it is at this point. I think it's come to be accepted that yeah. he's not going to be what he used to be. Like, I don't think it's every time he goes for 10 points on like three of seven or something like that. Like it's a groundbreaking thing anymore. At first it was a little like, Whoa, like that's not great. But now it is evident that he is the complimentary point guard who can pop up and show some things occasionally, but it's not, like you said, it's just here and there. I think it's accepted at this point, but that does become a problem when you run into other teams who have multiple tiers of offense in the playoffs, that is certainly going to be amplified and a greater concern than it is during the regular season. That said, he took seven shots. You know, he was four for seven. He was not forcing anything. He had seven assists. Mm. I think those are all positives. If he can still do some things that are useful, that's a positive, I think. I think the biggest problem with Kemba isn't, well, obviously his performance does leave a lot to be desired, but the reason why is because of how much the Celtics are paying him and how much that handcuffs them moving forward. And just like the fact that they have all of that money tied up in a max contract. I think that's the bigger issue with Kemba is that he's not living up to those expectations. Whereas if you just look at his play and if he were making like, I don't know, not a max contract, you wouldn't feel so compelled to like take issue with what's going on because he doesn't need to be like this, like number one option. Yeah. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have developed to a point where like this role is fine for Kemba, at least for now, we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but it's just the money that really, I think is the, the sinking point here because it's like, not only does it make his performance like in the now like oh uh, I wish we were getting a little bit more from him but then in the future it's like okay this is what we're getting and we can't really do anything about it it's hard to look at Kemba's cap situation and be positive in any sense right, right because right. because like long term they're super super handcuffed like there's little to no flexibility and a lot of that has to do with Kemba's contract and it's really not a tradable contract at this point because of his on-court product but there's a lot of players in this league who if they're in Kemba's spot former all-star getting paid that big money they are forcing it on the court like 110% of the time trying to get their buckets like when things aren't going well they're going to shoot through it Kemba has done a nice job of working into that complimentary role kind of accepting the fact that hey like I'm a little limited now he's been very outspoken since he arrived in Boston that this is Jalen and Jason's team I think that is a positive that sometimes goes overlooked. I agree. I do want I do want to point out one thing. When we say all this stuff about Kemba, we're not saying that like he shouldn't be making this money. Good for him for getting his money. It's just that the Celtics are in a tough position as a result of the cap stuff. I don't think we're against anyone getting the bag. Like if Tremont Waters can get an NBA contract, go for it. But don't get me started on that one. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be good value. But yeah, right. if somebody wants to pay Tremont Waters, Tremont Waters, go get paid. Is that going to be our mean transition into the bench talk here? <laughs> No, because I want to I want to do one other thing. This is almost me holding myself accountable. Tristan Thompson <laughs> has been really good since he came back from COVID-19. He has helped the Celtics quite a bit offensively. He's doing so much less of the grab and offensive rebound, turn around a bunch of times and then huck it off the bottom of the rim that he was doing earlier in the year. Like he's been kicking out to shooters. He's been getting and ones. He's been really good in the pick and roll with Kemba and Marcus Smart. Credit to Tristan Thompson. He's been really good. And I, I think that in the role that he has been sort of filling as the backup who can also start to Rob Williams, it's it's been a big positive and I think a lot more justifying of, especially since Daniel Tice was traded and more minutes mm. opened up. He's a lot more justified of that full non-taxpayer mid-level exception that he got. So credit to the Celtics for salvaging that a little bit and credit to Tristan Thompson for, you know, really becoming like a, a useful member of the rotation. Let's get, let's, let's get into the stuff we're comfortable with and start ripping on people. 
So this is the second time this season the Celtics bench has come in in a blowout and just screwed up so badly that the starters had to come back in to prevent a loss. Not just a, well, this is getting a little uncomfortable. They might only win by eight instead of winning. No, the Celtics probably would have lost this game if the starters had not come back in. They weren't even getting shots up. And then the Lakers were just parading down the court and getting layups. And I thought it was funny after the game, Brad Stevens was kind of like, yeah, you know, that happens in the NBA sometimes. No, it doesn't, dude. Like this doesn't happen. And it definitely doesn't happen twice. <laughs> Like the first time the Celtics blew this lead, Tremont Waters came off the court and tried to like high five Marcus Smart and Marcus Smart kept his arms folded and shook his head at him. Yeah. Like this does <laughs> not happen. And it's like, I mean, if you're those guys, I mean, not to overreact, but I mean, some of them like, like, okay. So like Shemi Ojale was a part of that unit. Shemi Ojale is an NBA player. But if you're some of those guys and like you, you literally can't hold a lead for like five minutes, are you an NBA player? I don't know. Carson Edwards is not an NBA player. Great guy. I really don't think he's an NBA player. I have been the biggest Tremont Waters fan for a long time since he was in high school. It becomes more and more difficult every time this reserve unit comes out there. This bench unit was like, they were really, really bad. If you look at the box score, so Carson played seven minutes, Mo Wagner played five, and then Neesmith four and Shemi and Tremont were just under four. They all had zero points except for Carson. Carson had two. There were no other points. Carson was minus 18. Neesmith, Ojale, Waters, minus 17. And Mo Wagner, minus 20. Like, they, there was... turnovers. There he was, turned the ball over three times in They five were minutes. not out there for very long. And there was not a single productive thing out there. Mo Wagner took a charge. And then the next time down the court, he got tabbed with a blocking foul and then got hit in the gut with the ball as it fell from the hoop. Like, it was so bad. I have that gift saved on my phone if anyone wants it. It was so bad. <laughs> Last night on the post-game show on NBC Sports Boston, Kendrick Perkins was talking about how, like, this isn't just a matter of maintaining the lead to win this game. This is a matter of, like, getting another contract. Yeah. And other teams have scouts at these games, like, People pay attention to these minutes, even though we all dub it garbage time. Like it is obviously, but like this could get you another dealer and this could not. And I'll never forget Tremont Waters posted his like G League rookie of the year trophy on Instagram. And his initial caption was like, I deserve better than this. Like you think I'm happy with this or you think I'm satisfied? Like I know I deserve an NBA contract, blah, 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 blah. I forget. Never what it satisfied. Was. Love it. Never satisfied. It was very spicy. And then he signed his two-way deal with the Celtics and he edited the caption to be like blessed or something. So <laughs> it's rough to think that he is deserving of an NBA contract after he's done this twice. I, hey, okay. Okay. Well, God damn it. I have long since, since he was committed to Georgetown and since he played at LSU, I have long been in the camp that, man, if Tremont Waters was 6'2", God, it would be great. He's not. And I think the contract talk that Perk brought up where these guys have limited minutes, they are being scouted from basically every angle. I think that works negatively in reserves favor a lot of the time across the league because these guys get in and Tremont last night is a perfect example, just tries to do way too much. And we talked about this before we started recording, like Nicole, you made a really good point. Just like be a competent point guard, run the offense, be a competent point guard, and just like calm down a little bit. Easy for us to say, 
all of them, really, they try to do way too much when they go out there for that limited time. And I think that really affects them negatively. But to that point, or I guess countering that point, look at Brad Wanamaker, right? 2018-19, he did not play. Like he averaged 9.5 minutes per game. He only played in 36 games. But when he played, he was just solid. He wasn't trying to do too much. And he only averaged like, you know, four points per game. He barely did anything. But because he just came in and played his role and like dribbled the ball up the court and did not throw it to the other team, he got a second NBA contract. And now he's in his what, like third year, fourth year in the NBA? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's the blueprint. And it's easier for Brad Wanamaker because he's yeah. an adult, he's older. But like also Tremont Waters was a four-year ceiling. Like he was like three. three. Let's give him some credit. But yeah, there is something to be said about Wanamaker being the blueprint for that. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I will say about like that rally, when the Celtics were still ahead 115 to 102 there were three minutes and 30 seconds left they called timeout now if i'm the celtics in that huddle right like if you are that bench unit and you just say okay that was bad take a big breath let's calm down let's come out and just run some decent offense and like play some good defense and and everything is going to be okay at that point it's like okay yes this does happen it's okay ben mclemore got hot no problem but that's not what happened it's 115 102 and the celtics come out start you know they throw up a couple of bad shots they turn it over a bunch of times at 150 the celtics turn it over and luke Cornett, jalen brown marcus smart and, and jason tatum all come in and then they put the game away because they're the competent players so the fact that it went beyond the timeout that brad had to call which like the timeout was embarrassing but like if you come out and, and you salvage things it's no problem the fact that it went beyond that timeout and that then the starters had to come back in that i think is maybe the worst look for that group last night that they couldn't even take take a big breath and get it together. They were still just like panicking and like making all these bad decisions. Also big correction that could have thrown this episode way off the rails. Tremont Waters played two years. I was wrong, not three two years so but so i was i was wrong on that i stand corrected as well obviously we see a lot of the twitter mentions and stuff last night of fans complaining about the reserves because they were bad people should be complaining about that if i was a fan i would be too i think it is it's more difficult to have a competent reserve unit like deep reserve unit than people like want on an nba team like people are saying go get it like go get this guy like it's not that simple so as bad as this reserve unit is i do think it's important to keep in mind that having a competent end of your bench on the NBA is difficult. That being said, you shouldn't have an end of the bench that comes in and blows 20 point leads. Like it's their job every time. That's a problem. I'm not saying it's not a, it's not an issue, but there is something to be said about it's not as simple as just going and grabbing a bunch of free agents to throw on the end of your bench. For sure. All right. So before we wrap this episode up, let's go kind of bigger picture here. I I had somebody respond to our, our podcast on Twitter, just kind of saying like, I'm not sure why you guys are so convinced that the Celtics have no chance against the Sixers after they've beaten them twice in the playoffs, which is, you know, a fair point. I think it warrants some conversation now after the Celtics have, they are tied for fourth um, in the standings. So I think the two questions that I, that I want to talk about before we go, one, why we think the Celtics probably don't have a shot against the Sixers, and also what we would like to see from the Celtics in terms of how they could get themselves into that next tier. Because if they are in the four seed, I think we all agree that there's sort of the top tier, then maybe the Celtics in the Heat, and then the bottom tier of the Eastern Conference. So let's start with the Sixers. Why do you guys see, like, what would it take for you guys to think that they could beat Philadelphia in a, in a seven-game series? I was going to say a second trade deadline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything that the Celtics can show between now and a playoff series against the Sixers that will change my opinion. 
I think it's really about the adjustments that they make in the series. And like, I think it's just important to note what the listener said about they've beat them twice before. Like that is the psychological factor that we've sort of touched on in previous episodes. But the Sixers are a different team. Like if Ben Simmons is healthy, that completely changes the defense. And they actually have somebody that can match up against Jason Tatum. And obviously if Ben Simmons is out for the series, yeah, I think the Celtics can win because that's a huge loss for them. And the second thing is Joel Embiid is just a completely different player. And we'll see how that holds up in the playoffs. Like we record an episode with Ben Golliver, who was like, I'll believe it when I see it. I do agree with him to a point like, yes, Joel Embiid has had a fantastic regular season and has proven to be the Celtics have proven to be no match for him. But it's like conditioning has always been an issue with him. Like if he starts running three point line to three point line again. Yeah, that's great for the Celtics. So we'll see if it can last through the postseason. But I think those are the two factors here is like. Also, like, Brett Brown is no longer the coach. Like, there have been a lot of changes to the Sixers roster since those two playoff seasons that, like, I don't think you can just say, like, well, they've beat them twice before. They'll beat them again. Like, it's not the same team anymore. You never know what could get in their heads. If Brett Brown were the coach, I would be way hammering the psychological (laughs) impact way more than I am right now. But on paper, I don't think you can be like, yeah, it's going to happen. The the listener, when I followed up, I basically said like, yeah, Embiid is a different player this year and and Simmons isn't injured. And he said, he said, I'm not saying they'll beat Philly no matter what, but I think it's a little too much to say it will not even be a series. That's totally fair. 100%. Yeah, like they could steal a couple games, but I agree with Nicole in saying that like in my head, this is a somewhat different team. Like they, especially if they're healthy, obviously, frankly Tobias Harris has looked like a different player he just disappeared in the playoffs against the Celtics last year so he's a major factor if he continues playing like he has in the regular season then that just completely changes the series from a sheer size perspective like trying to go up against Embiid Tobias Harris Ben Simmons that's brutal and the Celtics have looked better defensively but still like I'm not sure and speaking of defense the Sixers defense is so so good I'm not sure how the Celtics would be able to handle that onslaught of that defense like yeah Evan Fournier helps he comes back he adds a lot of offensive versatility but the Sixers have such a higher ceiling and sure maybe they could steal a couple games because the Sixers go cold kind of like they did early on in the Sixers game at TD Garden a couple weeks ago they were missing a lot of open looks and the Celtics were right with them they stopped missing the open looks and the Sixers jumped all over them so sure maybe they could steal a couple games I just don't see them being an actual threat to Philly now, one thing I will say, and I think this is this is kind of the argument against the Sixers, is Joel Embiid is a completely different player. That said, he has had issues with conditioning in the postseason. It is possible to tire him out. Now, I do think it's interesting. One of the things Brad Stevens said the last time they played the Sixers was that a lot of teams get in the habit, the bad habit, of trying to put Embiid in pick and roll coverages where he's pretty good. Like he's, you know, that doesn't really tire him out. But I I, I think if you can get the, if you can move fast, like if you can get the ball up and down the court, if you can get to a point where Embiid is getting exhausted, you know, maybe going three point line to three point line a little bit more, then, you know, maybe you're on to something. So if the Celtics can figure out how to do that, then I might be more willing to have kind of the conversation. But from from a larger perspective, I I do think it's interesting to take a look at what we've seen from the Celtics over the last couple of weeks. They have a game against Brooklyn coming up next weekend. 
it's going to be, I think, probably the hardest game of the season because it's it's the second night of a back-to-back coming off a game against the Suns. I'll be interested to see if the Celtics, you know, they've, they've talked a lot about resolve. I think it's fair to say they've showed a lot more resolve over the last few weeks. I'm not saying they're going to beat the Nets, but I will be really curious to see like how they rally. I mean, resolve can take a lot of different forms. I like, can take the form of like a 30 to three run against the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. It can also like take the form of playing well in a tough back-to-back. So that back-to-back is going to tell me a lot about how good I think the Celtics are and, and how much to buy in on them. If they lose, or even if they get blown out, I'm not going to be like, oh, this Celtics team is a disaster, you know, blow it all up. But I think it will say something about like, okay, this team is a lot better. They're playing a lot better, but there still is sort of a ceiling on who they are. I'm not big on moral victories, but that back-to-back could have some moral victories in there. You know what I mean? So I I agree. That's going to be a great measuring set of games. All right, guys, we will leave it there. Before we go, I did want to one more time plug our new voicemail number. We're going to do an episode where we answer all of your questions. Feel free to hit us up. The number is 978-254-1707. Both Grenham and I have tweeted it out, so you can uh, go check that out if you... uh, don't like to write down numbers off a podcast. It's, uh, it's on Twitter. We both uh, put it out there. So leave us a message. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can also text questions to that number Ooh. as well. There you go. Leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text, and we will definitely answer whatever you want to know or give our takes. Uh, we would love to hear from you and we will talk to you all again soon.